0: That's impossible
1: What's up everyone, welcome to Desolation Radio With Dan and Nath oh yeah. How are you in? Pretty good, you? Yeah, good yeah. Not very nice weather, is it? It's not a shit <laughs> just, just
2: <laughs> sorry, Kate. tone's been lowered straight away.
1: It's because you don't have appropriate clothing, you always Wear you're one of those people that wears a hoodie instead of a coat.
2: Yeah, it's well, it's the same concept, though, isn't it? It's no, keeps you dry.
1: But the keeping dry is the important part, in it? It hasn't got any waterproof film. Well, uh, like you like feel real, you know,
2: <laughs> with the elements. Fair enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not like you, Dan, puffer
1: jacket. So, well, like... Hidden from everything. Absolutely. Yeah, always wearing sensible uh, always wear sensible clothing. Right. What are we talking about? Right. <laughs> Today we're gonna to be talking about housing and we're delighted to be joined by Stefan Evans of the Wales Governance Centre and Jenny Hulan of Cardiff University. Welcome both. Hello.
2: Thank uh, you. Welcome to your own house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, we're in Jenny's house, so thank you very much for having us. <laughs> right. So Jenny and Steph are experts on devolution, social housing, renting. And so again, continuing our the ongoing theme we're sort of letting them gonna let them do the work so you know we Sit and the listeners back. don't have to Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay so what I was going to do what I I was planning on this you know I've been psyching myself up for doing sort of a melvin Bragg style <laughs> introduction to give myself some more gravitas and sound less like Wayne lineker or something like that um but I've been Nathan sort of coerced me into not doing it, or well, rather, no. I'll you sh- should do it, and
2: then just see how it goes.
1: I'll just do it in my normal voice.
2: Yeah, or if, well, uh, if if you don't like it, just change it halfway through and do. Okay. Different, different all right. Voices. So, bit, right,
1: anyway. so we all need housing. <laughs> it's all it's such. So obviously, a script isn't it. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no. Um, You've you like, really done like yeah. reflective pause. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So we all need housing. it serves a very basic human right to protection from the elements, and this is why homelessness and rough sleeping is such a jarring image to us in this day and age to see people exposed to the cold and the rain and it's just it's so appalling because we take in the West, you know, the developed world we take shelter for granted but housing of course goes beyond mere shelter <laughs> you know, housing central in many ways to what we in the West consider an ideal society, you know that, this idea of the property-owning democracy which, you know, it's, it's all about housing is central to our image of this ideal society and that in turn sort of Changes and it impacts on our own aspirations, of our own lives, and and our sort of the way we view ourselves and how successful we are. You know, in America, for example, is probably the most the most obvious example, isn't it? Your housing, the you know the house of the white picket fence in suburbia, is just central to the American dream, which so many Americans have always aspired to. Um, obviously, you know that's it was obviously always a myth. Which yeah. was out of reach to you know most of the working classes, the people of color, things like that. So the point is, I guess that housing's always been intimately tied to society as well as the individual. And there's a sort of interesting interrelationship there. In the UK as well, housing's central to British politics. It's central to how we perceive our society. Good housing is central to the health of the nation. There's something that we'll often overlooked. You know, people uh, living in squalor in cold and buildings will inevitably develop health problems, and that's I guess the issue of health and housing is central to why it started to develop. So after the First World War, our very own Lloyd George began a Homes for Heroes campaign, of better quality house building, and that was partly prompted by the poor physical condition of British Army recruits during the First World War because of the chest problems or... Scrawny, malnourished, and things like that, because you know they lived in such poor quality housing and trenches as well. <laughs> trenches, the trenches, have been out there. yeah, um, <laughs> tre- yeah trenches—such luxury. Like yeah, After yeah. my tenant they only like, got a for
2: building a foundation, and they
1: just yeah. gave up. And- um, so, and you know, housing is obviously central to the creation of the British welfare state after the Second World War. You know, so the welfare state's a massive increase in house building across the UK as part of the social contract. Again, it's this idea that you know people returning from war and conflict, there's this national unity after the second world war because you know, we were all in it together, and so people need appropriate housing. So, the Atlee government built more than one million homes, 80% of which were council houses, you know, often to replace those which were actually damaged by bombing, which is something people all, always forget. As you said in previous episodes, it's not just this altruistic thing, the welfare state, it's no, a, a pragmatic thing. We very, actually have to build, we're private, <laughs> yeah, we're private capital, didn't want to step in particularly. <laughs> yeah. So in 1951 the Tories got back in. I mean I find that crazy. Like they just (laughs) we're back, (laughs) like straight. Um, But you know the the sort of the social democratic consensus was sort of continued as well, Um, and they continued to build houses. Although the focus of the house building sort of shifted to slum clearance. So um, millions of people were moved from inner city terraces out to to new towns. Bit like Um, now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. to, um, To out of town council estates and high rises and things like that so in the new 1970s we we'll just jump forward again nothing um, happened nothing so happened no. was, <laughs> the new estates that were built at like the out town estates the high rises began to sort of rot you know both physically and you know there's this sort of social stigma started to develop around them you know they they became seen as this as well as being like dirty and unsafe they started being seen as ha- havens for criminality and Deviants and things like that. Little rascals, uh, little rascals. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> So you know, there's a bit of the housing crisis, and this is where this concept of right to buy started taking off. Um, you know, the idea that you know well, is what it says in the tin. You know, the, the, the right to buy a council, yeah. the right to buy a council house mm-hmm. was that. And that I'm assuming that was something that wasn't. Allowed before that, was it? Um, It was
0: allowed before that, but not with the discounts that Thatcher introduced. So actually, it was a labour idea to introduce the right to buy, but you have to pay the value of the property. But what Thatcher did was introduce these massive discounts. Then that made
2: it realistically affordable for normal working class people to actually be able to buy their houses. I I read today that her um, housing minister bought a few of them yeah, yeah, because now, like I'm not sure the exact statistic, but like a fifth of council houses are now like privately owned yeah. in like in terms of that used to rent out, yeah oh Thatcher, yeah. Thatcher directly credits that for her election win, and, yeah you know,
0: it, in in all the sort of stuff she said since that she didn right cyberwap got it, yeah, I actually wrote that
1: I actually wrote that down <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I' picked
2: over a bit actually, just to see you hitting your words right. And then so, I've, so
1: I've got labor initially didn't oppose the right to buy, and it says, indeed, (laughs) indeed, in 1977, (laughs) the Labour Housing Minister published a green paper, endorsed home ownership as a strong and natural desire which should be met. And uh, as you said, Steph, in 1980, everything changed with the Housing Act, and this is Thatcher brought in, which basically meant people could buy their own home, and as you said, introduced massive incentives and discounts for people to buy their own home. So firstly... We, buy we're going through. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, firstly, you know, instinctively, I think for us now, people will say, well, what's wrong with the right to buy? You know, what, what's wrong with the right to buy? And, and at the time, you know, Michael Foote, who'd sort of taken Labour to the left, he said, well, you know, selling off council houses without replacing them obviously meant there's going to be a housing shortage. You know, mm-hmm. people aren't... You're going to sort of break the social contract because there's not going to be enough houses to go around because everyone's going to buy them. And new people who need them won't have them. And the other thing, which is what we'll talk which is, as you just said, Steph, the right to buy Thatcher's legacy. It, you know, there's this... I think it was Blair actually said that when he was elected, he gave a speech about he started campaigning and walking, doing like uh, for Labour, and the old people in his his sort of constituency office told him people that own their own houses, own their own council houses, vote Tory. People that don't own their council houses vote Labour, and that's always sort of a being sort of seen as the way it is. And so Thatcher introduced this thing and it was this idea of aspirational tied up with owning your own house and then this idea that if you own your own house then you you vote Tory and things like that. And it was a really effective way of getting people to vote Tory and to, to buy into her new vision of society because, she must, what was it she said, economics is like just the method and she was like, the purpose of what I'm doing is to change the soul of society. And So what the right to buy did, what Thatcher did with the housing policies was change in a way wasn't it this our perception of the function of what housing is about it's now became it became about the individual didn't it and the family as a unit rather than a collective social good
3: it's about status as well it's all
2: about status so, so an investment i mean you know this seems not just like oh this is my house i'm gonna live here and make it my home it's like oh you know i'll do this to it i'll yeah. do this to it and then i'll add the value It's
1: mm-hmm. like so if we you know if so we went back in time you know to this like the golden age of the wealth estate you know in the 50s for example would people have thought they wouldn't I imagine they certainly wouldn't have thought in this idea of you know buying a house as an asset to just to flip and to make a profit on it would I'm assuming it would just be, hopefully I'll get a house which I can raise a family and that, and, that, and that's it and obviously that's completely changed and, and and one of the reasons for that change is Thatcher changing the solar society through Legislation. That's the interesting thing about legislation. It seems so sort of innocent, isn't it? But then that one sort of stroke of a pen, it can just change everything. So that's a very brief overview of the situation up to sort of Thatcher. Steph, was it always like that in Wales as well?
0: Um, The situation in Wales kind of followed closely to what was happening in England. Um, I don't think we can say it was vastly different what we were doing in Wales, but what was interesting that was that there was a level of devolution even at that stage. So you can go back to the 1st of May, 1940, when uh, housing was actually first evolved to Wales. In 1938, there'd been an inquiry into tuberculosis. There were load of theories as to why tuberculosis was a problem in Wales, because the Catholic race was less resilient <laughs> to diseases, was one of the explanations. <laughs> Problems with kind of dairy production. But one of the key things that came out of that report was that the state of Welsh housing was... Dire. I think there's a line about that um, the negative quarters in Shanghai had and had worse housing than rural Wales. Really? So, um, so, it was quite. A, it, it was a damning report. It was the biggest selling report, official government report before the Beveridge report. So it had a, a huge political reaction. And what the UK government did, um, I've been to the archives and I have a look, and they're trying to think of ways to minimise the political fallout of this. So they decide to pass on responsibility for administering UK housing policy to the Welsh Board of Health which been founded 20 years before that to administer housing and um, health policy in Wales. And from that process then, the administration of housing was always undertaken in a Welsh context, so through the Wales office, um, and there's some differences through that period. But in terms of a broader narrative, it follows very closely to what was happening at UK, England level.
1: So we've talked about, obviously, the, the different need of Wales in other podcasts, you know, podcast, you know policing and... Wait, what are the other podcasts we've done? That's <laughs> it, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, like, um, so what were the... Specific pro- where specific problem. Obviously, you just said Wales had a major problem with the housing stock. It was it was rubbish basically, and yeah. people were getting TB. Was rurality part of the, the specific problem? The way the, the new Health <laughs> <Yeah. superstition. laughs>
0: you, um the rural nature of Wales was was a big part of this because the report actually does um, you know a direct difference between the industrial areas and the rural areas. Seven of eight worst performing local authorities were in rural areas at this point. Um, and the report thinks um, they give three reasons for this. So one of them is um, there's a communal consciousness in the industrial areas. There's newer housing stock because it's been built um, due to mass migration during the Industrial Revolution, whereas some of the rural housing has been there for centuries. But there's also the fact that, they said, it's far more politically competitive in the urban areas. So those elected have far greater stake in making sure that the quality of housing is improved. Oh, As in rural areas, there right. wasn't oh, right, that yeah. tradition of having competition at elections, um, which meant that there wasn't that battle of, I will do this for your house. How do, how do you get TB?
1: You just live in a, <laughs> a house with no windows.
2: Is it? Because... Um... Uh, if, if you live near livestock or have livestock near you, yeah. then you're more likely to catch disease aren't you oh which yeah, well, is, which is the problem with like a lot of communities as they came together is their health deteriorated because they bring the livestock near it.
1: It's probably a perfect storm of wasn't it bad quality housing yeah cows and but sheep then yeah ironically then you
2: build a strong immune system for generations then
1: you want to sort of rub rub up against the cow or something to, to build it up. Well, no, I mean, you
2: would have to go that far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know times are tough in rural Wales.
1: You know? I've just got this image, you know, you said that rural housing problem. I've got this image of like R.S. Thomas on his windswept homestead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just battling against modernity. Like just, uh... Okay, so there's always been specific problems in Wales. And as you said, there's always been, housing's always been political. And, you know, this the incentive to build houses, as you said, even back in the day in Wales, sort of driven by... The need to make promises to people, and is it you know? But if you look at is, is it, is it Blackwood? It was like a garden, not a garden village, or like in, it was a model,
3: garden state, yeah. Garden state.
1: <laughs> yeah, just like a a model town built by the the yeah, co owner or something. I
0: think there was one in Rubina as well, yeah. Um, yeah was so, um, so there was, city, yeah, so there was a few of those in kind of in those areas, and actually, what happened in the valleys as well in the set of the Industrial Revolution which wouldn't think of. it was actually quite a lot of private home ownership going on in the Valleys. Right. So a lot of communities coming together to create kind of housing, um, not housing association, building societies, kind of building collective clubs where people would come together and help each other build homes. So there was actually, home ownership was actually quite high in the Valleys towards the end of the Industrial Revolution era before going into the First World War.
1: That's interesting you say that, and it's time for me to plug a theory, well, not a theory, but... When we think of Wales, you know, like collectivism and like social democracy, and we think, but we also think of housing and health as, in the NHS, we always say, oh, it started in Wales, you know, the NHS started in Wales, and as you said, you know, and social, there there's home ownership and things like that.
2: Night Evans' secretary of both, wasn't he? Yeah,
1: but when we think about Wales' as culture, we also think about the, the sprawling bureaucratic welfare state, but the NHS was from, grew out of the, was based on the Tredegar sort of miners who had a health cooperative where they just paid into it on a local level they they paid for doctors to serve as a community the miners did it and that's like that 's not a a big state sponsored thing that's and it's not a, a private thing it's it was it's basically an anarchist mm-hmm. it's based on anarchist principle plug in the anarchism thing but, but as you said there you know how house, house ownership and sort of building societies are examples of you know local communities coming together and Acting together, so it's it's not under the auspices of the state, but it's also an individualism in a way. But it isn't Thatcherism. It's mm. it's, it's well, it's basically based on anarchist ideas. So I thought I'd plug that. So when we think about the NHS, it grew up and Wales, It was basically an anarchist idea, mm. the sort of health co-op, that then just became into this sprawling, Co-opted by the state, spaw- sprawling bureaucracy. Yeah, mm. but anyway, anyway digress. I thought I'd plug that. So we going to should we jump forward again to the present day yep let's jump forward are. to the present day right so how is housing you know allocated and organized what's the state of housing in Wales at the moment does anyone have any statistics <laughs> I, don't <laughs> have. <laughs> I don't have any like, so I've the, known
3: statistics until this point so the reason the reason i was looking at the statistics is because i know the statistics for Scotland and then I, do, I realized that i hadn't done it for the you know other parts of the uk so at the moment this is for the year 2014-15. Um, when you take all the housing in Wales and you break it down by tenure, six percent is local authority owned, so council housing, ten percent is registered social landlords, so housing associations, so collectively you can think of that as sixteen percent is in the social rented sector. Sixty nine percent is owner occupation, and that's this you know, that's we, we know that the owner occupation is by far is by far the you know the highest tenure but 15 percent is the private rented sector now so the private rented sector and the social rented sector are currently kind of on par with each other yeah that's... and that's a big shift um because 10 years before that the private rented sector was only at eight percent so in a 10 year period you've seen a doubling in the size of the private rented sector the social rented sector has sort of stayed stagnated gone down a bit but actually owner, home ownership is actually the the thing that's taken a dive in the last 10 years.
1: So this I mean I rent I mean this most of my allotment it, I find it normal mm-hmm. but obviously it's not something that historically has been normal to mm-hmm. just rent and rent and rent. So within I guess a, an area in Wales now how how would it be organized like social help ho- like social housing and What's the what's the role of the different? You know, what's the role of the housing associations? or well, firstly, rather, what are what to does break it have? down? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, not quite at that level. But, um, um, you know, but what what you know when we say the social, social renting, what would that mean? What does housing? What a housing association do? Uh, and how have they come to how has this situation sort of come to be?
0: Yeah. So, as Jenny mentioned, there's two types of people who provide social housing. So, there's the local authorities, yeah, um, and historically they were the people that provided most, mm-hmm. but they've reduced massively in importance um, in, over recent years. Only twenty homes. That were built by local authorities in Wales over the last 10 years. <laughs> it's good going there, yeah. isn't it? Um, so, yeah, there were quite a few years where we didn't build any. So, was like, uh,
1: this guy building, like, a dry wall with like, a stone wall on his own. <laughs> just <one> guy, like. <laughs> he was like, listen, leave it to me. My brother's are prison. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> How many do you need? No, he's doing his best. Yeah, like, in between, just... like,
0: fitting people's bathrooms or something. <laughs> he's building, like, social shit Come <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's some indication that food local authorities are going to start building again. So, Commandmentshire, Flintshire names are mentioned, so mm. maybe we'll see some movement there. But what's happened kind of since right-to-buy, really, is that it's become difficult for councils now to build houses if they're going to be selling them off at, at a huge loss. So, right-to-buy is going to be going in wills we we're expecting that to go, which might make it affordable again for local authorities to build. But in that interim period, housing associations kind of assumed the role of local authorities. Right. So housing associations in Wales are not-for-profit organisations. There's about 90 odd in total, but about 35, I think, who kind of provide most of those homes. And within that camp, there's two types of organisations there as well. So there's the traditional housing associations. So you know, a lot of them have linked to back to philanthropical associations, um, yeah. you know, back from the Industrial Revolution, Wealthy business owners, landowners, give them money to try and help the local community. So, some if, of them If are, they were deserving. If they were deserving, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's moved on from that, frankly. But, in terms of, you know, they're, they're that type of charitable organisation, if you want to view them like that. The second type of housing association we've got now is the Stock Transfer Association. So, they're associations where the local authorities in those areas no longer own any social homes. They've transferred all their stock to these housing associations. And they're now responsible for managing and constructing all the social homes in those areas. That's re- just to pick you up.
1: Well, I'll pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to correct you. I don't know. I just that's, wanted to, that's really interesting. I didn't think about, you know, I've always, as someone who's been casually interested in housing, I always thought, you know, why don't local authorities build houses? And it, So it's because it's a massive money, yeah, it's money. loser mm-hmm. because people will just buy them and they'll, so all the money that it's cost to build them all will just be lost, is that right? Or? Yeah, and, that, and
0: that's the concern that's been voiced in England now, because in Wales we're moving to a position where right-to-buy is going to go, it's go, go, gone, it's Scotland already, whereas in England it's been extended to housing association properties, so but the talk is, you know, our housing associations still going to be building social rented homes if they're going to be forced to sell them off at a massive loss. If they're going to keep building, I suspect they'll be building homes that we can rent. In England, there's the affordable rent. So yeah. that's 80% of what the rent should be. So that's above social rent, but it's below market rent. So what we view now as social housing, I suspect in England is going to change and it's actually going to become that 80% is really is really going to be taken over.
1: Well, so the affordable housing is mm-hmm. not going to be...
0: Affordable. Yeah, it's not as affordable as social housing.
1: So, So in Wales now, what's the... Well, to tell you what, let's, let's just, so, so that's the state of, as you've mm. just given us the stats, <laughs> Jen, about like the state of housing in Wales. It's, you know, the, the the private rental sector is growing, as you said, almost on a par with uh, uh, social yeah. renting. And in between there's, everyone owns their own house or whatever.
3: So so the, the vast majority is home ownership. Yeah. Um, so people with a mortgage or sure. people who own outright. Should <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you should tell Nathan away from the So when we were uh, so was like
1: me and Nathan were chatting today, I said, oh, "You know, we're going to do a housing housing podcast." My it's like, oh yeah, I paid off my mortgage today. Like, I did,
2: as, <laughs> as crass as it is, as it is. I was on this like, topic. ah ha, ah, good
1: joke, like. Yeah,
3: you're the one young person in Wales yeah. that is an, an outright owner <laughs> of any kind of property. Not even <laughs> thirty. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> turn the knife a bit. Yeah,
2: yeah if, um, if if people remember a few episodes back, I give a shout out to my dead grandfather. Uh, yeah, so it was just like a bit of a windfall from that. So there
1: it go. wasn't all bad. So, <laughs> so the um. Yeah, the caveat, you know, you should... Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, like a like, happy
2: ending, you know. Like, no, was yeah.
1: gonna, you could be one of those people, you know, like, when you're, you're talking to someone and they just go like, yeah, but I'm fine, like, so... Yeah. They just don't, they don't get a situation, like, okay, but I'm not affected by this, so, like... This, why I, I didn't like know about
2: renting or anything like that, I thought everyone's, as soon as it, everyone's grandfather died, this time, <laughs> <laughs> how, it was like a circle of how... That's how, how it, it works. In. Yeah, this is all new for me, so uh, I going to... <laughs>
1: Okay, so that's you know, so that's the situation we you know where we are in Wales. Steph, you said that you know historically Wales has had a fair amount of autonomy for controlling the you know for controlling housing. I guess so. Where are we now? You know, how what impact has devolution like post nineteen ninety seven? What has that had on what impact has that had on housing? You know, what does the Welsh government control? Like, what have they what initiatives have they tried to bring in? Because you know they're always saying how social democratic they are, things like that. You know, what's what's happened?
0: Um, so, Welsh government housing has been devolved to Wales. So, in terms of like, yeah. legislation and housing, policy of housing, it has been devolved. Away. And ambiguously, yeah? And ambiguously. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Yeah, you'll see what the Wales government does to that, okay. but, um, or the Wales Act as it is now. But um, yeah, so housing has been um, devolved. So, you've seen Welsh Government, I mentioned, the right to buy. We've taken very different approaches in Wales. There's a lot of private rental sector reform going on in Wales. That's not happening in England. So the Welsh Government has, uh, to its credit, and is free to develop a lot of policies. But, and it's a big but, there's still a lot of power held at Westminster um, that has a massive impact on the ability of Welsh Government to deliver, um, to deliver its promises on housing. Um, so the obvious thing is welfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, the welfare budgets controlled by the UK Government. So when the bedroom tax was introduced that applied to tenants in Wales as well. The Welsh Government could have done what they did in Scotland, which was to provide money to fund the gap in between. But um, Wales was disproportionately affected by the bedroom tax because there's a higher percentage of older homes in Wales and they tend to be more rural. So the cost of that as a percentage to the Welsh Government would have been massively higher than it was in Scotland. So they were forced with a choice of we either follow what we do in Westminster or we and try and plough that money into building those houses to pull up shortfall. Or we plug the gap with that money and then what happens when that money runs out. So we were in quite a difficult position there. So that's one example of where welfare, you know, there's limits on the Welsh governments. There's other limits on them as well in terms of stuff that's outside government control. So there's obviously stuff like the market, you know, like house prices in Wales are never going to be separate from the house prices in London. You know, regardless of whether it's independent or if it's no devolution at all, there's always going to be that link between the two. But there's also stuff like technocracy as well. So, so the Office for National Statistics decided in the autumn that they were going to reclassify housing associations in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland as part of the public sector. They'd already made that decision in England, and that's important because by doing that, their borrowings was transferred onto the public balance sheet so in Wales that's 2.5 million. In England, up 60 billion that was added to the public balance sheet. So that brings their borrowing under the government control. So this limits on how much we can borrow, which would be press mass suppression housing associations to build social homes, limit their ability to do so. And given that housing associations are the ones building social homes, that, that would really limit the ability of social homes to be built in Wales. So that in a way is forcing the Welsh government's hand to adopt policy. That maybe wouldn't otherwise to change the way that they're regulated, so that the UNS changes their opinion. So that shows there that maybe you know this certain powers outside of a Welsh government's control that can impact directly on the housing policy that's adopted in Wales.
1: That's so complicated. <laughs> okay. But, no, <laughs> but previously on Desolation. Yeah, yeah. but if you know in, in one of the last podcasts, you know Richard wynne Jones has, mm. has said about as you said these caveats and these other. Issues related to housing mm. that aren't devolved. So housing mm. is devolved to Wales, but then there's welfare isn't, and other things, which mm. basically prevent the Welsh government from yeah. carrying things out. But so this issue of bringing them under the control uh, public of, sector, yeah, uh, under the control of the public sector, is gonna just basically impact. I, I feel like you should have done a, a PowerPoint maybe from, <laughs> for me, where it's just like a house, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a stick man. <laughs> All right, but the, but the point is, it's gonna limit social housing, like potentially I mean, limit social housing. So yeah,
0: that's so there might be people thinking that it's desirable that social housing is being bought back into the public sector. Yeah. But the but the risk with that is as I said, their borrowing would be controlled by the public sector. Cool. So there's limits then on how much they can borrow. And if they can't borrow money, they can't build homes. And if local authorities aren't building homes and housing associations aren't building homes, then who's building them? Right. So that is basically the choice that the Rush Government has is either it takes that money on itself and there's even a risk that Treasury would control that because that's borrowing and you know there's limits on how much the Assembly can borrow which adds another layer of complication to it. So the Welsh Government has either got the choice of accepting that decision or taking steps to change the way regulation happens in Wales in a way that they probably wouldn't have wanted just so that they can get the housing associations back into the private sector to get them back building.
3: So it sounds like it's almost like an underhand way of still trying to shrink the social sector and give more power to private business that sort of, it's almost like, it sounds like what you're saying is it's a backward way of trying to sort of keep the privatisation and sort of shift it. So, because it, housing associations, I, I, I think I'm right in saying I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but housing associations are starting to build more and more mm-hmm. properties for private rent. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're doing that is because they can then make a profit on those properties which will help
1: yep. with that's, their budget. So that's their funding stream, basically. That's yeah. their funding
3: stream. So it's almost, in my head, it's almost a kind of another way of trying to increase private the private sector and the private rented sector.
0: So what the ONS found, so the ONS emphasised that they are not a political organisation, they just you know put their set of rules onto mm-hmm. a kind of set of circumstances, but they've identified a certain number of government controls across the four nations. So that's stuff over how housing associations can sell their homes, you know, at the moment they need the consent of government before they get rid of certain properties. The ONS said, no, if you do that, we're going to consider you part of the public sector. And um, so that's one example, and um, changes to the constitution of housing associations as well. So so if housing associations want to change the way they operate at the moment, we need the government to say, yeah, okay, you can do that. But the ONS is saying, actually, if you need the government to say that, then you're under government control. So. What the ONS are therefore doing is putting the Welsh government in a position whereby we have to choose between maintaining that control over the sector, mm-hmm. which then can put the in those requirements, mm-hmm. you know, to control the way the sector operates, or go, right, that's it, you can see some of your controls, but then they can go back into the private sector. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so uh um, no, yeah. very
1: well explained, I I get it. So it's pretty pretty worrying then. And it's just and it's just as you said, it's something that maybe not as you've written it, it's maybe something people wouldn't notice as <laughs> yeah. being a significant change. It's one of those things that, oh, actually, that's going to...
0: Well, in terms of... I think, you know, there's reasons to be reassured in the fact that there'll still be controls over them, and they will still have to be not-for-profit. So they're not going to be able to do anything they want. But I'm sure this is a step that the Welsh Government would probably not want to take. I interviewed, as part of my research, um, a policy advisor at the UK Government about this, and the UK Government didn't want to be doing this particularly, but they forced, forced to do it. Yeah. So that shows, you know, in terms of we talk about housing as or oh, what the Welsh government doing on something. Yeah. But in a sense, it's hands are tied mm. again by powers outside yeah. of, um, and that's not even the devolution settlement in this instance. It's just the way that you know, the way governments operate.
1: You said before, um, the Welsh government are, are, do they've done away? with they done away with right to buy?
0: And um, they're in the process of. Getting well, int- they're going to introduce legislation and get it enacted during this government, um so before 2021. Um,
1: and the logic being so they can build more, yeah, and so they'll have more social housing, yeah. Um, so that we can't because so yeah. the <laughs> local
0: authorities will be able, you know, that the space for local authorities. And the Welsh government has promised to take steps on housing associations, so in all likelihood, I don't think it's going to have an impact on. The number of affordable homes, social homes built in Wales, because the Welsh Government have made it clear that they're going to do what's required, because they say, you know, we can't keep our promises and deliver, and they, and they are at pains to say that this isn't deregulation, it's restructuring the sector. But yeah, so we should, in theory, if the Welsh Government gets those two pieces of legislation through, so the one on right to buy, and this one to um, make the ONS happy, yeah. so to speak, where the Welsh Government can meet this target of... They've set a target of 20,000 affordable homes by 2021. So that's a mixture between social housing and, you know, first time buyer affordable homes. Tree houses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this seems to be, when you talk about people who operate in the sector, This seems to be actually quite a challenging target this time. So they've actually set a ch- target that's going to push the sector to get to, whereas I think there was a bit of an agreement last time that they set a target of 7,500 over the term of the last t- assembly they hit the target, and then oh, hooray, Right, we'll set another target now. But you know, if you set targets, you know you're going to hit. Then it's not really much of a target, is it? So, but I think there's real concerted effort over the term of this assembly to try and make up for some of those feelings that there have been over over the past decade of not building enough social homes.
1: So that's it. That's I mean, that's interesting how they've used the limited powers they've got. Jen, obviously, you are our first Scottish. I would very delighted. But, like it. <laughs> but um, it's, it, it's interesting to, I mean, I know obviously you haven't lived in Wales that long, but it might be interesting to consider, you know, what, for example, has the Scottish government done, you know, with their powers for, like, social housing and things like that, because that would be interesting.
3: So, I'm not a huge, I'm not I'm not a massive expert, as much of an expert as Steph is on social housing. <laughs> Certainly the Scottish government has been sort of the same, same with the Welsh government in terms of setting targets for making promises that we're going to... I can't remember what the figure is. Was it 50,000 social homes yeah. over the next five years? I think they said that about mm. a year and a half ago. Things like um, blocking the bedroom tax yeah. is a big, a significant one. So Very they basically mm. used their sort of discretionary payments to be able to block any people affected by the bedroom tax. For me, actually, the biggest, again, kind of shifting it to the private rented sector the biggest yeah. thing that Scotland's done... Is brought in new legislation to regulate the private rented sector so that came into effect uh, I think it was May or April last year Um, and it's it's it was passed into law last year but it's not going to be implemented until autumn this year Um, but they've put in a whole bunch of stuff to try and make the private rented sector more secure for tenants so they've taken away some of the landlord's powers and tried to shift that onto tenants because the recognition that the private rented sector does have a role to play in the housing market, it's becoming, you know, it's as, as a growing sector. Um, so as well as trying to continue its its um, pledge and its um, value of building social housing, it's also trying to sort of look at the private rented sector and make it, make it a bit more, a bit of a better place for tenants really. Yeah. And by by doing that as well, by increasing and in, introducing regulation, what potentially will happen is it will restrict the growth of the private rented sector as well, which if you speak to landlords associations, they keep saying, you know, you know, they're saying, you know, why would you want to regulate the private rented sector? Because what's going to happen is that people won't want to be landlords anymore. So it's plugging this gap, this mm-hmm. really important gap. Why would you want that that sector to shrink? So
2: people can buy homes.
3: So, well, yeah, <laughs> that was <is> my answer. But <laughs>
1: well, it's always, you know, whenever there's an attack on the private sector, be it like private hospitals, things like that, it's all, the argument is always, we're plugging a gap, you yeah. know, and we're, so that's always yeah. going to be there.
3: And the reason that they're plugging a gap is, and, and this is not just in Scotland, this is across the UK, the reason they're plugging a gap is especially on the back of the... So the private rented sector started to grow from about the sort of late 1990s early 2000s but on the back of the 2007 8 economic crisis that's when it's mm-hmm. accelerated and it's because for kind of reasons that everybody probably knows that banks were you know not giving out mortgages as easily so people tried to get first especially first time buyers were struggling the deposits that are now required if you want to buy a house yeah, are 10 huge, 20% in some cases absolutely huge and people just can't people just don't have that that big lump sum of money. So home ownership, especially for first-time buyers, has been difficult. Then the social rented sector, even though it's still there's still um things in place to try and expand it, because it's still not meeting the needs, what happens is that the people that are being allocated social housing are the people who are most vulnerable in society. So you're having to make decisions over who, you know, you've got a limited number of social houses, you've got this many people on a list to be allocated, there's decisions that have to be made about who who really needs that the most. Absolutely. So you end up with a kind of, a sort of, people coming from two sides, people who want to become homeowners, who aren't in a position to be able to do that, and people who want to access the social rented sector, who are on this huge waiting list and are standing still, enter the private rented sector, which is there to try and plug that gap. Really. Yeah.
1: It's really interesting, you know, to talk about the rent and as you said that the impact of the the two thousand and eight crash on on mortgage I, mean, I I'm I'm trying to think of a time like we said before the podcast started about how the norms about housing and renting have mm-hmm. changed. So I've or I've just assumed that I'm never ever gonna be able to buy a house mm-hmm. because since I can remember well, my memory doesn't go be up before 2008, or I wouldn't. I certainly wasn't thinking about houses or anything when I was growing up. But mm-hmm. I, as, as long as I've known it, I've always known that you have to have a massive deposit to buy a house. And mm-hmm. all my friends, as soon as they finish uni, started you know start a job. I you know didn't I worked, you know, was working in a call center and going traveling all mm-hmm. these like middle class things you do and things like that. And you know, and my friends like, well, you're an idiot because you should be saving for a deposit on a house. And I was like, well, didn't. I just didn't appreciate the gravity of like you know having to save twenty thousand pounds or thirty thousand pounds or something insane like that. But it's interesting to think that you know yeah. back in the day, obviously that wasn't how it was.
2: Some you could get some mortgages at a hundred percent, and what like and if you couldn't pay, you could just put it back on your mortgage. Yeah. Just before the, the crash. golden age, like you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. You know, what happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah
1: I mean, so the issue of rent in the private rental sector and how Scotland has modified it brings us back. I don't know if you. Guys are aware of this that incident about I don't know if it just played out in social media, but was it in England? Basically, Labour passed a law to abolish or, or passed a motion or supported a motion to abolish letting agency fees. Yeah. Uh, was that, I, don't, I think it was in England? Then you had Welsh MPs retweeting this to so like this is a fantastic initiative. Well done, Labour. Blah blah for supporting this. And then it was brought to the attention to everyone that actually when the Welsh Assembly proposed. The scrapping of letting agency fees in Wales, Labour and the Assembly voted against it and blocked that <laughs> legislation. So that, in the one that, on the one hand, you know, for me is always is proof as you know hip- hypocrisy on behalf of you know Labour mm-hmm. able to say one thing and do another. But what was more interesting was that when sort of pressed on this, like why did Labour vote against it? I forget who it was, but one of the sort of senior AMs in the Assembly, basically said, "Well, we didn't know that we had." We could do this. They basically admitted that they they didn't know who had control over this small element of social housing. Uh-huh. I will be scrunching. <laughs> scrunching. That, that uh, seems curious. It, um, <laughs> it, uh, it was a really interesting episode. I will be tweeting it after the thing. Yeah. Um, but that was, I thought, quite interesting. But so let's we keep talking about renting. But there's also an issue just touched on there, Jen, about you know housing lists. And housing, as we said, centre society, housing is such an emotive issue because it's housing, because of the scarcity of housing, it's housing that, you know, let's face it, that is often at the root of these you know, anti-immigration sentiments and things like that because it's always like, oh, they're coming here, these people mm-hmm. taking our houses and things like that and jobs and things like that. And housing, because there, are, <laughs> there's, there isn't much to go around, There isn't that the case that people start looking at Th- even if they imagined housing lists in some people's minds now, there's this horrible thing where people who, you know, with social problems and immigrants, they'll go oh, they go to the top of the list, blah mm-hmm. blah, and even if you know that's completely justified because mm-hmm. people objectively are it is based on need, mm-hmm. um, the scarcity of housing doesn't it it, it, cr- it creates almost like this scramble for resources which pits people against one another
3: yeah i think i think that's i think that's the biggest issue if you kind of think in a big scale is that you know why if you come back to you were asking earlier why is why was the right to buy problematic Mm -hmm. it's because the people who were in a position to be able to buy their council house my gran was a you know she bought her council house for through right to buy so but you're always still going to have people who cannot do that. So as soon as you try, as soon as you sort of have this squeezing of social housing and trying to push everybody into private housing, whether that's renting or home ownership, then equality just, you know, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So, yeah, the, the social rented sector has become residualized because you have to make decisions, really difficult decisions in a lot of cases about who gets allocated Absolutely. so many points and things like that. And yeah, I think it does partly build up that resentment and adds to the stigma mm. that Steph was talking about earlier, the stigma of, of social mm. housing back in the kind of 70s. Mm, yeah. I think because it's, it's become um, like that and I think... Are you, are you gonna- yeah,
0: I think it also, you know, you can see where the next problem in quality of housing is going to be because people aren't in nothing needs to be getting the social homes but I, uh, when you look at websites, you know, housing House in Cardiff and the private rental sector, pretty much every ad that you see says they don't want anyone on any benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. who's the landlord's taking these people? You yeah. know, I'm willing to accept there some people who want to help, but I'm, I'm suspicious that, you know, that the morals and the, you know, what these people want out of yeah. rental is not necessarily going to be good quality homes to help yeah. people
3: out. I did, I did research, a little bit of research, and we interviewed um, people who were working at the Citizens Advice, and that was exactly what they were saying: was you see no DSS everywhere, mm. and that's not just actually um, sort of landlords; it's also kind of spareroom.com people yeah. Yeah. looking to share, and it's but it's, not with you, <laughs> yeah. And it's this: there's, there's, I think a twofold thing is that there's quite a, there's actually so if, so there's the this the this prejudice and the discrimination and this idea that's being bandied around on the media, especially you know benefits scroungers and all this. Crappy TV programming that adds benefit to that. that. Channel yeah. ch- Channel
1: Five is just rolling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <financial> yeah. <laughs> benefit shows. Sure. I mean, it's very I mean, really cheap yeah. to make as well, isn't it's it? Absolutely incredible.
0: Battle lifts, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <With> <laughs> so Judge Judy's. Yeah. But, yeah. but the other
3: the other part of it is and this is a direct. This goes back to what you were saying about how even though you can get housing that's devolved, but because the welfare mm. benefits are still controlled by Westminster, so in trying to kind of simplify this as much as I can in the private rented sector so more and more local authorities are trying to divert people into the private rented sector and that includes homeless people Mm -hmm. so if you are going to be homeless and you turn up to your local authority housing options place and say I want to register as homeless they now have housing options which involves first and foremost how can we prevent this situation so say it's somebody who's maybe at risk of homelessness but at that point in time they've maybe got a roof over their head and you could almost interpret how do we prevent this as in how do we prevent us having to have a duty to provide you with social housing how can we divert you and the private rented sector is the only other place that they can go into so if you take somebody who's who's in that situation and say they're unemployed and they're eligible for housing benefit. If you put somebody into the private rented sector who's on housing benefit, and in the private rented sector it then becomes called the local housing allowance, which is the benefit for for um private renting. But that's capped, so tech, because, because private rents are so expensive, the chances are that the the amount of money that you're going to get from your benefit is not going to be enough to cover the full cost of your rent. So then what, what happens is that person either has to find money, maybe if they, they get other benefits, maybe they're job seekers or something, they can maybe try and pull some money from that to make up the full amount of their rent. But then that's when you get the rise of food banks and the rise of fuel poverty because all of their money is going yep. on their rent and they have nothing left for you know to, to live on. So... I can, un- I-, I can understand in a way if landlords are looking and-, and this is again my bigger issue with the private rented sector is that it's a for profit yeah, it. it's-, it's making profit yeah. off of housing somebody yeah. which I think is fundamentally
2: wrong. I was reading about so, uh, just to interrupt a bit about okay. a dude who'd um say he'd rent somewhere like a house and then he'd rent all the rooms so he'd be like an in between so he's like Renting or renting accommodation to other people, a, but I imagine and that's, that's, that's
3: legal. But they would have if, 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 if that sort of right. sub letting Yeah, sub-letting, yeah. But
2: like he made, you know, he made loads. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure people do it a lot. Yeah, they like, do it
3: a lot. But if he gets caught, he gets he gets Oh, is it. Yeah, in
2: the yeah, Guardian. You know, like,
0: so
3: <laughs> imagine
2: he has been caught. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. But you, you can also see like um, Welsh government have taken steps to try and deal with it. So mm-hmm. they've introduced um, landlord registration and licensing. Mm-hmm. Which, in theory, is a great idea. So, there's been one case in the right so far where a landlord's got a conviction for fraud um, and they said, uh, Well, you're not a fit and proper person to be a landlord. You've got a recent conviction from fraud. We don't think you should be. So, you know, that sounds like a great system. The problem is, we think about, I think it's about 50, 60 odd thousand landlords are registered, but our estimates are there's about 70 to 130,000 landlords in Wales. <laughs> so, if only half the landlords are registering,
1: what's the point? Well, why can't they? I mean, surely they should be forced to register them.
0: Well, so, but this is the problem. When the problem's this massive, how do you begin enforcement? Mm-hmm. So, um. Gunpoint.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, uh, Kevin Green, I think his name is, he owns maybe 500 houses around Glenetley. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's, he's held up as, like, you know, a great entrepreneur. And, you know, he goes to schools and. Uh, you, you, can, you, you can check
0: your landlords if yeah. you will, um, if they because I've been doing that on Rent Smart wheels so they're the yeah. licensing body. Mm-hmm. So you can check if your landlords mm-hmm. registered or not. And uh, it's a small data set, so I wouldn't take anything from it. But then most of my mates, about half of them, have got their landlords not
1: registered. Yeah. Usually must be a nightmare to so be tenant. <laughs> 10. <Yeah. laughs> <Nightmare>, 10, <actually. laughs>
3: <laughs> I think in terms of trying to enforce it, though, the problem is is that well, it, it is, it is and it isn't a problem is that a lot of landlords. Don't go through letting agents, mm. so it's just a private, private yeah. deal, basically. Yeah. So how do you actually find mm. them? Yeah. I think that's a big issue. That some sorry, something else is that when you've got um, to go back to sort of maybe migrants, for example, or people who are possibly in the country illegally, or people who maybe don't are not aware of their housing rights, you do get a proportion of landlords. So the landlords are so different. You get some really fantastic landlords. Mm and you just get some really crappy ones. And those that are operating at the lower end of the, the market, if you like, may, might be the ones who are happy to take people who sure, are on yeah. benefits, yeah. or happy to take people and not ask any questions about their sort of status in the country and things like that. But they're also typically the ones who don't take care of their properties. Yeah. There was a situation in Glasgow, in a place called Govanhill, Hill, where, Uh, which has got a high migrant population and there was a a particular street and it was all private lets and the the properties were getting into such bad disrepair there started to be concerns over kind of health and safety and and health (laughs) TB probably (laughs) 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 but also also overcrowding and people were you know because it's the private sector the, the local authority can't easily come in and do inspections but there was, you know, cases where there was forty people living in a two-bedroom flat. Wow! Because and and so what um actually happened was Glasgow City Council bought back some of these properties into the social rented sector to try and gain control over the yeah. situation. So they ploughed something like ten million pound to try and buy back some of these flats, which is just insane. That's kind of for me it epitomises. It's
1: like going some back. It's, it's like going back. It's like we've gone back in time to the tenement ages I and mean, we? like these mm-hmm. year you know, things like that. Jen with the private sector I mean you said then like you know does it ever pick up the slack I know for example that you know you've got like um, B&Bs and things like that and mm-hmm. um, for homeless people and um, for people that uh, are just out of prison and things mm-hmm. like that uh, and they get subsidized don't they by local councils mm-hmm. um, so does it I mean does it, the local authority actually have to subsidize the private sector for for taking on this role of social any social element.
3: Yeah, so there's so the so local authorities are trying to basically do different kind of de- deals with with certain landlords that they know. So they are trying to sort of find good landlords, if you like, and kind of do deals with them because the benefit to landlords of having somebody that you know that's going to be you know in housing need is that the chances are that they're going to be a tenant. Who wants a long-term tenancy? Yeah. And because they're on benefits, even though it's maybe not going to be as high an amount of money as they might otherwise charge, it's a regular amount of money that they're going to get from. So, so the local authorities, as far as I'm aware, are not subsidising. But basically, that somebody's welfare benefit is is somebody's rent. Yeah. So that's where the social Someone's money is money getting to, into it. Um. So local authorities are trying to find sort of good landlords, to try and kind of do these deals with to try and help with with the homeless population but when you when you're on the flip side of it when you look at homelessness statistics homelessness generally has been coming down but when you break it down by subgroup actually the group where homelessness is going up are people who've lost their private rented sector yeah. tenancy they've been kicked out so i have a feeling that it's actually a short-term solution yeah. mm-hmm. and actually longer term it's not going to be mm. it's not going to be sustainable
1: People there, but I mean, I can, I can feel, you, you talk to people about renting and things like that, and I always, I sometimes get the impression, people are like, so what, who cares, you know? Um, and it, it, you only have to look at properties in Cardiff where we are to, you know, routinely, no double glazing, you know, damp everywhere, mm-hmm. just, I mean, and that's, because the market's so saturated, you know, the landlords, you I mean, they don't even have to make an attempt to clean mm-hmm. them up or anything. It's like, well, here's the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first, you know, started looking at moving to Cardiff, it was just, Na- you're just so naive. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You're you're asking this much money for this. It's appalling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really. It's not exactly worth money. Mm-hmm. But you know they've they know that you know there's a shortage of houses, so you have to pay for it. But Jen, you've done research, you know, on the impact, you, on of like mm-hmm. what it's like to rent and be mm-hmm. in in squalor for a bit. So can you just tell us a bit about why it matters to people and why does it matter yeah. why does good quality housing matter like?
3: So so actually the people the people that I've researched um have, have not been specifically the ones who are in squalor or who yeah. are in that those really horrible situations. There's a lot of research being done by shelter yeah. actually who have looked at those in the kind of lower end of the okay. private market. And it just is, is is all the problems that you've just said, it's damp, um, sort of um, infestations broken boilers that just don't get repaired and again because it's usually the the sort of dodgier landlords who are catering for people who are maybe in quite desperate situations the people who are in the desperate situations are scared to Raise these as issues because if they do, they know that they could get kicked out of, of their house. The
2: rank could go up as well if they end up repairing stuff. Yeah, yes. It's the paradox. Well, so this
3: is so, so the group that I've kind of more looked at has been kind of generally middle class young people who've That's been living in the private rented sector. Who, for the affordability issue, is the biggest issue because we talk about affordable housing anyway and it's not affordable. The yeah. private rented sector. When I was saying earlier that my rent is three times what I paid in my mortgage. So it's yeah. it's, it's huge. And people are, so it's actually more to so the security aspect of it. It's the way that tenancy agreements work. You come into, a, you know, you, you sign up for a six-month or a 12-month lease. So you always have that hanging over that you that you know that in six months, 12 months' time, there's a chance that you're going to be told that you need to leave for various reasons, and one of the reasons is the landlord says, "Well, you can actually stay, but we're gonna, we're yeah, gonna, it's gonna be fifty pound, hundred pounds mm-hmm. more." Um, and actually, for a lot of young people, it's that it's that flitting around that's causing a lot of distress. And what we're also seeing is the private renting sector as it's growing. It's not just students or young professionals anymore; it's families, mm-hmm. and that's where it's having a really a big impact. If you've got children and you're trying to get children settled in nursery or school and you're having to constantly move around because your landlord for whatever reason's, you know, not letting you stay, um, that's just impossible for people. So it's actually that kind of emotional family life, um, security aspect disruptive. of it that's so really disruptive. Does it have
1: an impact on you and you research it? I mean, what impact has it had on people's you psyche for one of better words is. it's
3: just it's stress it's incredibly stressful. Um, quite a few of the young people I spoke to said that they so part of the research was also about the casualisation of the labour market. So mm. there's this kind of goes hand in hand a lot of it because people are struggling if they're renting, for example, but maybe they're on a zero hours contract or they're so there's there's this idea that there's sort of there's a hand to mouth existence as well that they're just living day by day trying to get through day by day. And then the prospect of at the end of the six month period, yeah. the rent's gonna go up. It's just that it's that mental health aspect, the stress that it's it's causing a lot of people and anger as well. Actually, that was big theme that came across was this real frustration of, you know, we expect but we're told that you know you aim you aspire for this kind of family and this job and this house but how are we supposed to do that if we're constantly having to move around all the time do
1: you think i mean i I saw we talked at the start it's a nice way of tying it all up yeah yeah this idea of the american you know the american dream you know this idea of the white picket fence you know know, everyone's just want to move into the suburbs and have a a small little house and a a nice family and a loan but it's interesting to me how that that's just been adjusted completely like obviously we're not American we're not even America but like my perception of what is normal and, and what I want to achieve and what I what is realistic mm-hmm. to obtain out of my life has just been adjusted so radically now and it's like you know you go from wanting a nice big house and now mm-hmm. it's like oh the small the flat would be yeah. amazing you know for that and and then it's it's hard to see isn't it, how that's gonna change for the next generation mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant discussion thank you so much Janice de for all you have know, made it really understandable and just brilliant. Um we'll be tweeting and putting on Facebook uh Jen and Steph's research so if we, if you want to read it, which I'm sure you will, just you'll be able to access it through there. What we wanna talk what we we normally do is we try to get guests on air to sort of agree to do another one so it's like on record. So Steve um, just left the room. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because you know housing is one of those things that it seems it's frustrating because it seems solvable. It seems yes. like mm-hmm. so, you well, know, why can't we just you know not just build your own or or why can't the government do it? Yeah. So as part of our future, we we do futures series when we talk yeah. about it. So hopefully we'll come, you guys can come back on. We'll talk about we'll solve it. You know we'll solve it for everyone. We'll solve it. Solve- yeah, so we'll solve the housing <laughs> crisis. Okay, as ever, any shout outs? So I had a couple
0: of shout-outs.
1: Firstly, to
0: anyone uh, who reads Think in Wales, it's Wales' premier blog by PhD students run at the Wales Governance Centre, so I just wanted to give that a big plug. Um, so check it out. We got some research kind of on anything to do with Wales as well, um, and then also to my namesake who's in the Wales squad, Steph Evans. I don't know him, but he's got my name, so I'm just <laughs> wishing him well for for the <laughs> Six Nations as they come ahead. Yeah,
1: you should take the credit if he does well. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I, when he yeah. scores a try for Scotland, so yeah. I, I, I've scored again. Jenny shout.
1: Um. Out.
3: Yeah. So shout out to Kim McKee, who has been my co-author and PI on the project, and who's currently on maternity. Leave. Oh congrats. So Thanks. I'm kind of taking forward the dissemination of all of her research while she's Sorry, dealing bitter, with then. What was that. So bitter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's got her feet up. A bad <laughs> but also to my landlord, because you know, they'll put my rent up for the next <laughs> <laughs> the next point of my tenancy break. So yeah.
1: Very wise, very wise shout out. Yeah. I'm assuming he listens to Desolation. Yeah, like, yeah
2: of no. course. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan, shout out! Uh, I may forego my shout-out and decide to just... You have to, two next week? I have two next week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was gonna. I will give a shout-out to your sir, because it's really comfy and really <laughs> nice. And uh, and uh, plug a film of the week, which I really enjoyed, which was called Red Army, about the Red Army's hockey team during the 1980s on Netflix and YouTube. It's really good.
1: Give it a, give it a, we'll check it out. Yeah, well, I already have. Yeah, I already have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everyone else should. It's good. And Dan? Uh, okay, out. shout out. Um, well, shout out to you know, my landlord, Delith. actually Landlady, because you know, we've been talking about horror landlady and she's actually been fantastic. Shout out to Graham, the greatest housemate of all time. Yeah, um, came with the house, didn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> yeah, he? Did, yeah. Um, and shout out to my favourite band, The Menzingers, who have released a new album today, so I'm very excited to listen to it. I'm like a 15-year-old child, so if you don't know the Menzingers you like sort of melodic punk, Give it a shout out. Uh, give it a listen, even. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, and thanks to everyone that's bumping us. Keep retweeting us. Keep. We want to. We need to get to a sort of certain size if we want to get bought out by a massive yeah. media conglomerate. So <laughs> tell, you, again, tell your friends, especially your rich ones. You get
3: hundred
2: thousand <laughs> yeah.
3: names. The yeah. government has yeah. to. Debate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We want
1: to be bought out by Trump. <laughs>
3: Inching
1: inch close to that dream. So thanks for thanks to everyone for for helping us out. See you next time. Bye. Bye. And I need you on my team. Are you on my team? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm... All right, I'm on my team. Yeah? Yeah, I just, he gets me. It's good. Ready? Oh,
3: here we go. Nice. Hi, how are you? Hey, ya?
1: how you doing? We're uh, here to look at the house. Of course, yeah, come on in. Hi, I'm, I'm Hugh Honey. How you doing? Good. This great. is my associate, Vic Vinegar. Hi, Ted. And we are here to show you this house. Oh, mm. good. Good. Okay. <laughs> come on in. Great. Okay. Good. Good. All right, this is the living room. Okay. Wonderful. Now, what do you folks think? It's a beautiful house, right? Well, you know, I'm thinking this might be a bit large for, uh, what we need. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. Is this house too big for you? Now, Vic. Just a second, Hugh. Why don't you ask your wife what she
2: needs, pal? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. She uses something smaller, and you don't uh, think she can handle it? Okay, I think we're
0: gonna get going. It's okay, you guys. I'm here. I want this to be a good experience for you, okay? I'll tell you what, buddy. How about I take your wife upstairs and show her what it's like to be deep inside a
3: really
2: big house?
0: What? Huh? What? What?
2: Uh,
0: you, You'll have to excuse my associate. It's just his passion for quality real estate that makes him so
1: intense. And what can we do to put you in this house? Okay, look, I think we're just gonna go now. Okay, go. L- we're gonna go. Gonna buy the, sir. Are you going to we buy this house? We oh, don't want any trouble, sir. Are you going to yes. buy yes. this house? Are you going to buy this house? Yes! Yes! buy this house! That's it. There we go. That's all <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, folks. You just bought a brand-new house. Let you know. <laughs> Yeah! Go, go gonna... honey, go. us go! Like, I'm, I'm
2: going!
0: Just go.
1: go! All right, we'll be in touch. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing, bro. You think that's gonna work? Bro, it already did work. You heard the skirt. She said, yes, I will buy this house. That is a binding verbal contract. Now, I heard it, you heard it, and that pussy husband of hers heard it, too. If they back out now, I will find them, I will strangle them, I will beat them into oblivion. <laughs> 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 I'm full of the vinegar. Oh. <laughs> hey, yeah. how'd it go? Sold it. Sold the house. Sold it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Just get another house, flip it over, make some cash.
3: Yeah, you know, it's not really the cash that I care about anymore. It's the thrill of the sale that I'm responding driven to. Driven by the thrill of the sale.